0: Thank you all so much. It has been a wonderful week at YXL. Uh, it's my first time. And unlike everybody else here, I was excited about coming. What? <laughs> yeah, so it didn't it, it disappoint. It's been a great experience. And I, I think we need to give a round of applause to Jeremy for doing such a great job as he did. Great job, Jeremy. I Really appreciate you. Thanks for inviting me to come out and, and share with everybody. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Tonight we're going to talk about endurance and the Holy Spirit. Endurance and the Holy Spirit. Before we get into that, let's review, okay? There's going to be a test tonight, see who knows the answers, okay? It's in the blank. you guys are leaders, so I expect you to be able to pass it. Endurance is a gift of god. who? Life. Not just any god. Which god? Life. The Life. The everlasting God who is that God, endurance is a gift of the everlasting God and he renews our strength as we what what do we got to do wait on him and then one of the three ways that we wait resting and obeying and expecting good and then we endure in community. And what are the four ways we endure in community? What are the four things we do? Considering one another. Considering one another and spurring one another. Spurring one another. Encouraging one another. Encouraging one another, encouraging one another and serving. serving. Working for one another. Very nice. Good job. You guys are leaders. You did not disappoint. That's impressive. Well, all of that, everything we just discussed comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, In the passage that we're going to read is John 14, uh, 15 through 31. Jesus is eating his final meal with his disciples and giving them his final instructions before he goes to the cross. So I thought this would be an appropriate passage for us as we have a final time together, and I give you the final instructions on endurance before we head out of here. It's a long passage, so tonight instead of reading it all at once and then referring back to it, I'm going to read it as I go, okay? So you will need to have your Bibles open and ready, but I'll tell you what we're going to read, okay? So I'm going to pray and then we will get into the sermon. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to read and study your word. What a privilege it is. You are the everlasting God, the Lord of creation, and yet you have spoken to us through your word. You have called us to be your children. You have given us a spirit that helps us obey you, to rest in you, and to expect good things from your promises. You have given us your spirit that draws us together as a community so that we can love one another well. You've given us your spirit so we can be united with you, so that we can understand your word, so that we can be renewed in the Holy Spirit. And we can be sent out on mission for you as your beloved children. God, I pray that as we learn about the Spirit, that you would indeed fill us with your Spirit. Please work by and with your word to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, after about 38 years, well, not 38 years, that's a surprise. Let's see, I heard about the for the first time in the fall of 2001 from Ab Colby at my fraternity house, and I looked at him like he was crazy when he told me about it. So I was what, twenty-one and thirty-eight so about twenty years, so after roughly twenty years of not reading Lord of the Rings, I finally gave in this year and I read Lord of the Rings, and I'll have to admit I was wrong. It was good. Yeah. It is still about six hundred pages too long, but it's six hundred yeah. good pages too long. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and, and anyway, what's that? I I probably will read it and really like that 600 yes you're correct Uh, so if you've been on Mars and you don't know what Lord of the Rings is it's about uh, a hobbit named Frodo Baggins and his quest to destroy the one ring of power before it falls into the hands of the evil Sauron and he destroys middle earth well he sets out on this journey with his friends and early in the journey he and his friends encounter an enchanted burial ground called a barrow. And as they fo- come into the barrow, a fog comes over them, and they are paralyzed on the ground. As Frodo lay trapped in darkness, as he's paralyzed and afraid, this hand called a wraith begins to come towards them. It's creeping at them like it's going it's to get them, or it's going to hurt them. While well, Frodo lays there, Something in his mind goes back to the Shire, where they used to live, and to his uh, time jogging with his friend, Bilbo Baggins. And he said, on the road together, they would jog and they would talk about roads and adventures. And something about this memory awakened a seed of courage deep in the heart of Frodo that was waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. That's how Tolkien says a seed of courage that was waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. And that seed that seed, transformed Frodo from this helpless victim into a ready warrior. And in that moment, he, he's, he's, he's sort of caught in a... In a he's got to make a decision as that hand is creeping towards him. Is he going to put on the ring because the ring will help him disappear and he can escape? Is he going to put on the ring, escape, and save himself? Or is he going to stay and fight this hand and save his friends? In that moment, the courage that he had helped him not not use the ring, but pick up a sword and slash that hand. And, And Tolkien says that the hand gave out a shriek and a snarl and a streak of light, and it died. And Frodo, the, the spell was broken, and Frodo and his friends were freed. Um, when I read that story for the first time, which is not in the movies, sorry, you got to read the book. Okay? If you're like, well, I didn't see that in the movies. I didn't know. But it should have been a movie. But as I read that, I began to see a parallel between that seed of courage in Frodo and the Holy Spirit See, what happens in us as believers is we have this power living inside of us called the Holy Spirit. And it is there, ready, willing, able for us to access it at any moment. It is not until that moment when we see it, we are helpless, we are weak, and we are in desperate danger. It's not until that moment we actually access it. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to encourage us, to equip us in those moments when we need courage to endure, to make the right decision, to believe the gospel, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is there with us. The Holy Spirit is the, the third person of the Trinity. It is the same substance as the Father and the Son and equal in power and glory, but it has a different job. The Father plans salvation, The Son achieved salvation, accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies salvation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the shy member of the Trinity because he's always pointing away from himself. He's always pointing towards the Father. He's always pointing towards the Son. He's always applying the benefits of the Son to us because that's his job. He's called the helper or parakeltos. Maybe Colin can help me with my Greek forgotten it. It can be translated counselor, comforter, helper, and advocate. Jesus fulfilled all these roles while he was on earth, but in his absence, the Holy Spirit comes to us, and it becomes our helper, our advocate, our comforter, and our counselor. And it gives us everything we need, moment by moment, day by day, to follow Jesus and to live a life that glorifies him and serves him. So tonight we're going to see from this passage three things about the holy spirit the promise of the spirit the blessings of the spirit and the cost of the spirit the promise of the spirit the blessings of the spirit and the cost of the spirit let's look at the text look at john 14 15 jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to those who love him and obey him. Now to us reform-minded folks, this sounds like works. But when you look at the whole context of the Bible and the Gospel of John Tickler, it is not a works-based relationship. Jesus said in John chapter 6, that this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe that you believe in Jesus. In John chapter 7, Jesus offered the Holy Spirit to everybody who believes in him. He stood up at a party, the last day of a party. This is think I thing to say at a party. But this was kind of the point of the party. He stood up at the party and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's promising the Spirit to all who believe in him. And then in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said here, right? In Acts 1, the Holy Spirit falls on all the believers in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching the gospel, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who repent of their sins and believe in him for salvation. Friends, this means that every single child of God in here has placed their faith in Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filled with the Holy Spirit. This means that you are radically different than you were apart from Christ. Now the problem is most of us don't live that way. We don't know how to live that way. Uh, Not long ago, that was probably a couple years ago, I was in a uh, study. uh, There's a study, uh, there's a recovery group out there called Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christian version of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, there was five of us in this study. Went for several months. Every week, we all introduced ourselves as, hi, my name is so-and-so. I said, Shane. "Hi, My name is Shane. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. We're all Christians. We're all believers. Right? But we're all struggling with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so we're here in this study to learn how to deal with our addictions through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was sad but striking about all of us in that study is we did, not, uh, we did not understand how the Holy Spirit was at work in our lives moment by moment, day by day, year after year. Even me, as a pastor, an ordained minister, a Christian of 20 years, had to go through this process to learn how the Spirit is at work in my life every day and helping me recover from my addictions. It's a, it's a progress, it's a process for us to understand the Spirit's work in our lives. And I think what I, what, I, what really was laid in my heart in that study, and what I, one of the things I want you guys to take away from tonight is this. You are not just a forgiven sinner. You're a Spirit-filled child of God. You are not just a forgiven sinner. See, we're really good about talking about the forgiveness of sin aspect of the Christian life. but We forget the second part. You're a spirit-filled child of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world. That means that moment by moment, day by day, year after year, you have access to this helper, this comforter, and all the blessings that come with him, that come from Jesus through the Holy Spirit available to you. And Jesus goes through six blessings of the Spirit in this passage. We're going to read through them, and I'm going to list all six. We should have a slide with all six of them up here. I can't spend a lot of time on each one of them because there's six of them. And I know that's a lot of information. It's Friday night, but you're a YXL, so you can handle a nine-point sermon, okay? If we can get it up there. I also have some scripture references on there so you can go back and look this stuff up because I know that's what you guys want to do in your cabin after this, you know, after you pack up and everything. So, we'll get that slide up here. Do we have it? If not, this is going to be a long 15 minutes. I emailed it to Jeremy and he forwarded it to... Paul or someone. Paul or someone. Paul or something. I'm going to start talking. They're going to sit and get up there. You see me and take notes. i will try to go slow. First, get to the Spirit. The Spirit is the helper that empowers us to participate in Jesus' mission. The Spirit is the helper that empowers us to participate in Jesus' mission. That's what Jesus means in verse 16 when he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, right? The Spirit changes our hearts and our minds, and it changes the hearts and minds of others as we proclaim the gospel and serve people. So the church proclaims the gospel and it serves, and as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, then it's at work in other people. No man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, and nobody can serve Jesus except through the Spirit. So you're a spirit-empowered believer to carry out Jesus' mission and to serve him. The second point is this. The spirit brings you into union and communion with Jesus. The spirit brings us into union and communion with Jesus. Look at verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Because Jesus' Spirit indwells everyone that believes in him, we are not orphans. We are not left alone. God's favorite preposition is with. And through the Spirit, he is always with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus is always with you. Even though Jesus is literally, physically ascended into heaven, he is with you through the Spirit. Third, the Father dwells with us through the Spirit. The Father dwells with us through the Spirit. Look at verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus, when he resurrected and then ascended, he went to heaven to secure and prepare a home for us with God. But we don't have to wait until heaven to experience the presence of the father through the spirit. We can experience the love of the father until we go home to be with Him, you can experience the love of the Father right now in your life. Uh, I was talking with somebody this week about their struggles, and they were they were lamenting that all the promises of heaven seem far off. They all see in that seem like they're in that not yet. What I told them is, yes, they are not yet, but by the Spirit, they are already. By the Spirit, you can already experience the fatherly love of God in your life. You don't have to wait until glory. You can experience it now. Fourth. There we go. We get a hallelujah. 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 The Spirit empowers us to lovingly obey the teachings of Jesus and serve Him. I already read this. But I'm going to read it again. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Our new life in God is expressed in obeying His commands, and as we obey His commands, we experience more and more of His presence. Now that may seem odd, but but we know that all relationships have boundaries. All relationships have boundaries. I have a wife and a daughter who's over there asleep, and there are certain boundaries in our relationship, and if I don't respect those boundaries, if I don't care for them properly, then I lose their presence. I don't get to experience their presence. It's the same way with friendships. If you you violate, uh, you don't keep the boundaries in your friendships, you betray your friends, you hurt them, you're gonna lose that presence. You're not gonna experience a fellowship with them. It's similar with God. There's boundaries in our relationship with God. As we live within those boundaries, then we experience His presence. When we sin, our position with God does not change. Hear me? Our position does not change, but our experience of God does change. We are still children of God, but we don't experience His fatherly presence the same when we're in our sin. So obeying Uh, the teachings of Jesus helps us experience God's presence and it shows our love for Jesus fifth the spirit will teach us everything we need to know because it is the spirit of truth look at verse 25 these things I have spoken to you while I'm with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance and bring and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you so the spirit reveals the truth about God, the truth about sin, and the truth about the gospel. It's how we understand it is through the spirit. The spirit actually reveals all truth. Uh, A.W. Tozer once said that he reads everything on his knees. Right? He reads everything on his knees. So that he, what he's saying is it's an act of worship. He's trying to find the truth that God has put in whatever book it is. Uh, Calvin in his doctrine of common grace said that all truth is God's truth. If there's any truth in the world, all comes from God. And the Spirit is what reveals that truth to us, whether it's common grace or special grace. For the disciples, the Spirit revealed to them revelation, and they wrote all the scriptures. For us, the Spirit gives illumination. We sang about that here just a few minutes ago. It gives illumination and helps us see the gospel and understand it. Lastly, The spirit gives us the gift of peace verse 27 peace i live with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid this peace is the inner calm that comes from having a relationship with god and it's the wholeness the completeness that we talked about the other night that the word in in the bible for in the old testament for peace is shalom Shalom is this idea of universal wholeness or wellness or completeness. When you have the Spirit, it fills that God-shaped hole in your life so that you are complete and you have a peace and a calm about you. So those are the six blessings that Jesus talks about here that we receive through the Spirit. Now, we know there are lots of other things that the Spirit does, but these are the six blessings in this passage. So this is what I want you to think about tonight. Which blessing of the Holy Spirit do you need today? Which blessing of the Holy Spirit do you need right now in this moment? Do you need the Spirit to make a home with you for the Father? Do you feel fatherless? Do you feel homeless? Do you feel like you need a place of rest? The Spirit can come and make a home with you? Do you feel like you are so buried in your shame that nobody could love you? The Spirit comes to you and says, you are a child of the King, and then God smiles at you. Do you feel lost and confused when the Spirit can be your teacher about all things, relationships, work, leadership, depression, anxiety, whatever the Spirit can teach you, all things. Do you want to do ministry? The Spirit is the living water that flows out of you into others. Whatever blessing you need, you have it because faith in Christ does not merely make you a forgiven sinner. It makes you a Spirit-filled child of God. And the Scriptures encourage us to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, we are given the the full measure of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. It's not like there's this two-level Christian, right? Like there's the low-level Christians that kind of have some of the Spirit and the super-Christians that have all the Spirit and have these miraculous gifts. That's not true. We all have the gifts of the Spirit and we all have the fullness of the Spirit. However, the Bible does encourage us to keep being filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek tense there is a continual filling of the Spirit. How do we continually fill ourselves with the Spirit? It's through the means of grace. Through worship, with the Word, and sacrament, through prayers, we continue to feed on the Holy Spirit, and that gives us the endurance we need to live the Christian life. Uh, A while ago, I read an article about ultramarathoners. You guys ever heard of ultra marathoners? These people are certifiably insane. Anybody that runs a marathon is crazy. I just want you to know that. Okay, but but ultramarathoners are very, very, very crazy. Right? Ultramarathoners, you know, normal marathons, what, 26 miles. Ultramarathoners, it starts at like 30 miles, and it can go up to 100. It can, you know, it can start at like six hours, and go up to days but this article that I read uh, it talked about how ultra marathoners when they go on these long long runs they're burning so many calories they have to get more energy so it, it said that this one chick she would call pizza places and she had strategic spots on her route and she would call a pizza place on a run and have them deliver pizzas to this spot on her route, and she would literally eat the entire pizza to get enough calories to continue to run our race. Friends, we have to have that sort of mentality about the Holy Spirit to continue to run the race that Jesus laid out for us. You need to be continually filled with the Spirit and continually experiencing these blessings in your life. Well, how do we do that? We have to look at the cost of the Spirit. We have to look at the cost of the Spirit. That's the last thing we see in this passage. Look at Verse 28. Jesus knew that his time with his disciples was limited. He knew that Satan had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. He knew that the religious leaders were going to betray him. He knew that the common people were going to betray him. He knew that the Romans were going to unjustly crucify him. Yet he obeyed anyways. Not because of the evil one, but because of his father. He submitted to the commands of his father. He submitted all the way to the point of death. And what did he say on the cross right before he died? He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit so that we could have it. The eternal son of God gave up his spirit so that we could be God's adopted children not just forgiven sinners. He died so that we could be forgiven sinners. He also died so that we could be spirit-filled children. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? The first time and every other time? You say what Jesus said on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the posture of a Christian life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you don't just commit a little bit, you commit everything. Just like Jesus committed his whole life on the cross, you commit your whole life. Father, into your hands, I commit my school. I commit my relationships. I commit my family. I commit my grades. I commit my body image. I commit my sexuality. Give it all. The spirit comes to us through weakness. And here's the problem, we don't want to be weak especially leaders, we want to do it ourselves. And the Christian life isn't lived in strength, it's lived in weakness. Whenever Emory was about two, we were at church one Sunday, and it was after worship, and Emory had climbed up on the stage to play with the instruments, because that's what all little kids want to do. And I walked up there, and I said, Emory, you can't do that, you got to come down. So she started walking on the steps, and she's probably two, and there's probably like, you know, five or six steps or something like that. And she's kind of wobbly as she's walking down. And I put out her hand and I said, Hey, let me help you. And she looked at me with a face of defiance and said, I can do it myself, Daddy. And I said, Okay, all right, you got it. And I stepped back down, and she made it, of course. <laughs> but that spirit, that thought, that idea, I can do it myself, daddy. That's the spirit of sin that works in us that keeps us from accessing the spirit that God has given us. You see, when we're, when we're resting and trusting in Jesus in weakness, we say, I can't do it myself, daddy. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I can't do it. I need you. I need your spirit. And as we do that, God strengthens us to run the race and I want to finish with where we started in Isaiah 40 I want you to to think about this last line listen to this Isaiah 41 40 31 this: those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint now what is odd about the order of that sequence it's anticlimactic. You would expect it to read, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they will walk and not faint. And they will run and not grow weary. And they will mount up on eagles' wings, and soar. Because that's what we think happens when you go to church camp, right? You go to YXL, you spend the week worshiping Jesus. You learn how to walk, and then you learn how to run, and you learn how to soar. But that's not the way the Christian life is lived. And that's not the way. That's why it doesn't say that in the text. Sometimes in the Christian life you will soar, but not always. Sometimes in the Christian life you will run, but not always. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can always walk. You can always walk. I don't know what you're going to go back to, I don't know what you came from, I don't know what's going to happen to you in your future. But I tell you this. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will always be able to take up your cross and follow Jesus to the finish line. It may not be flying, it may not be running, but you can always walk. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. What a wonderful opportunity it is. To be in your word with your people and to see your goodness. Father, we thank you for giving us the Spirit. So we're not just forgiven, but we are your spirit filled children. And we have all these blessings in Christ the Spirit has given to us. Forgive us for our spirit of independence. For that spirit that says, I can do it myself, forgive us and help us to commit ourselves to you, to receive your spirit through weakness. And I pray that you would use that spirit to apply the blessings that Christ has purchased and to use us to love you, to serve you, to glorify you. We thank you, Father, for being our Father, for making us your children. We thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I pray, God, for these students, no matter where they go, no matter what happens to them, that you would continue to work out their salvation, that you would strengthen them for the days ahead, that you would fill them with your spirit and continue filling them with your spirit so that they could fly and run and walk. In Jesus' name we pray,